can turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. Uh, Several times throughout the year, we like to take a a topic in Scripture and spend a Sunday preaching into that just so we can grow in our understanding of it. And so this morning, I'm going to be preaching to the topic of generosity. And as uh, as Nathan said in his prayer, uh, next week we're excited to have a guest speaker, John Belay from Sycamore Hill Church in Wilmington. Uh, he's going to be joining us, and that's where Joel's preaching this morning, and we are just, we are excited for the, the growing partnerships that we have with other local churches here in the area. So John's going to be with us next week, and then two weeks we're going to be starting our brand new series on Genesis. But this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3, which speaks to the biblical call of generosity. So read with me. It's just three verses, 1 John chapter 3 beginning in verse 16, and the words will be, on me, will be on the screen above me as well. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love not in word or talk, but in deed, and in truth. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Last year, when I was still in school, I had an assignment down in Dover, Delaware. And so me and a bunch of friends, we had to be down at this hospital at six o'clock in the morning, which means we had to get up at about 4.30 in the morning in order to get down there in time. Now, I'm not much of a morning person myself, so this was not a particularly happy ride for me down every morning, nor was it for the people that I was carpooling with. Uh, So anyway, so we're driving down to Dover, and we stopped at a Dunkin' Donuts in order to get some coffee and some breakfast. So we pull into the drive-thru at Dunkin' Donuts, and we pull up behind this guy who's taking an extraordinary long amount of time to make his order. And uh, so we are already grumpy. And so now this guy's holding us up from getting our coffee, so the the tensions are rising in the car in this moment. Uh, Anyway, find this guy, he finally makes his order, he pulls up to the window, um, gets his food, pays for his food, and then he continues to chat with the guy at the window while looking back at us with his big grin on his face. So so to recap here, it's, it's five in the morning, none of us are happy. This guy's holding us up from getting our coffee, and now he's chatting with the guy in the window, and he can clearly see that we are, we are like inching our car closer and closer to his bumper, trying to get him out of the way. He clearly knows what's going on. He's just chatting away with the guy at the window. So when he finally, this guy finally pulls away, so we, we kind of zoom up to our spot to demand our breakfast, and the guy at the window, he hands us our food, and he says that the guy in the truck who just drove away, uh, he paid for your, your breakfast and your coffee this morning. So, so you're free to go. It's just, it was on him. Um, and uh, let me tell you, the, the mood in that car instantly changed in that, in that moment. It was this totally out of the blue, random act of generosity. We did nothing to deserve it. In, in fact, we were talking badly and judging this guy in our hearts while he was in the process of paying for our food. And so, so now we're at the window feeling a little bit humbled and we're, we're just about to drive away when someone in the car had the idea, like, why don't we pass on this generosity and pay for the, the meal of the guy behind us? 
who I think was only getting coffee, so it was like 45 cents. Um, but we passed on that generosity either way, and so we asked the guy at the window how much their coffee was, and so we paid for it, and then, and then we, we went on our way uh, feeling much better about the morning than we had just a few minutes earlier. Now, friends, this is a, a very simple story, but I, but I share it because I think it's a great illustration of what this text is getting at this morning. When, when we are the recipients of generosity, whether it's small or big, it, it, it does something to us, right? It can, it can soften our hearts. It can spur us on to be generous to others. And this passage in John, in 1 John, speaks of an act of generosity that far surpasses my story or any story that has been told. And that is the generosity that we have been shown by God. And I hope this morning, and the, and the desire of this passage, is that we would grow in our understanding of how generous God has been to us, and that we would then grow in generosity towards others. The, the main idea of the message this morning is that the generosity we have received from God empowers us to be generous to others. The generosity we have received from God empowers us to be generous to others. And we're going to examine this main idea by looking at, at three points this morning. We're going, to, we're going to look at the motivation behind our generosity. We're going to look at the demonstration of our generosity. And third, we'll look at the reward for our generosity. So point one, the motivation behind our generosity. The book of 1 John is a, is a letter written to the church. So it's, it's written to Christians. And, and the purpose of this book is to encourage believers and to give them assurance of their faith, to, to give us confidence in our standing before God. And one way that it does this is by describing what the Christian life should look like. John is describing how those who have been changed by the gospel ought to live their lives. And when we see this description of the Christian life, we, we, we can then look at our own lives. As we see fruit in our lives that, that looks like what is described in this book, then we can have encouragement and assurance of our faith and how our hearts have been changed by the gospel. And, and when we see areas in our lives that, that don't fit the description in 1 John, when we see ways that we are not living as Christ has called us to live, then it's, it's good to be challenged by that as we seek to continue to grow in obedience to God. And one of the themes in the book of 1 John, one of the ways that it describes the Christian life is one of love and kindness and generosity. And now we're going to, to narrow in on that theme of generosity and, and we're going to ask ourselves, what motivates generosity? What produces a generous life in that of a Christian? Now, now the word generosity is not found anywhere in this text, but I, I think that word is a great way of, of summarizing what these three verses are all about. And when we think of the word generosity, I think oftentimes we, our minds go first to the idea of, of giving financially to somebody who's in need. Um, and my opening illustration even include that type of generosity. But scripture speaks much more broadly than that when it calls us to live lives for the good of others. So when we think of generosity this morning, I want us to think of how the Bible calls us not only to give money, but also our time and our energy and our gifting and all the resources that God has given to us. And the very first verse in this passage speaks not only to the call to be generous, but also what motivates that generosity. We see this in verse 16. 
By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now what I want to argue this morning is that this verse is referring to the greatest act of generosity that the world has ever known. And that is the simple truth of the gospel, that Jesus laid down his life for us. And the truth of the gospel is one that's it's so familiar to us, right? But it really is such an, an astounding act of generosity. Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings, the, the ruler of the universe, humbled himself, stepped down into our broken world in order to suffer and die on the cross, to save us from the wrath of God, and to offer us everlasting life. And he, and he did this for us while we were his enemies, while we wanted nothing to do with God. What, what greater display of generosity could there be than this gospel? And, and what is our response? And what is the response should be for those who have received this, this great unmatched love from King Jesus who laid his life down for us? Well, at the end of verse 16, we see what that response is. And it's that we ought to lay down our lives for others. We've received this great generosity from God, and now he calls us to go out and to be generous to others. We are called to be generous because God is generous. And this speaks to something really important about why Christians live the way that we live. Every command that God gives to us is rooted in something that is true about his character. We are called to love because God himself is love. We are called to walk in purity because God himself is a pure God. We are called to be just in our dealings with others because God is just in his dealings with us. And here in this passage, we are called to lay down our lives, to give ourselves to be generous because of who God is and because of what he has done. The way that God calls us to live our lives is, is not just this, this arbitrary list of commands, but it flows from, from it, the, it's a lifestyle that flows out of an understanding of who God is and what he has done and hearts that have been changed by the gospel. In fact, as we, as we move on now to our next verse in the passage, we see that if we are not obedient to God, it's because we don't know God, or at least we don't, we don't know him as we should. Verse 16 calls us to be generous because God is generous, and then in verse 17 it says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Now catch what this is saying here because it's really important and it's, it, it's, it's sobering as well. This verse is saying if you see a brother or a sister or a friend in need and, and you have the ability to be generous and to meet that need and yet you do nothing, how can you claim to be a follower of Christ? In light of the abundant generosity that we have received from Jesus, how can we close our hearts to others in need and still claim to be a redeemed member of his family, to have the spirit of God in us, to have the heart and the mind of Christ? Now, I want to be super clear here. What this text is, is not saying 
is that we must be generous in order to earn God's favor. John's not saying that you, you must be generous, you must be kind, you must be loving in order to become a Christian. No, we are saved by grace through faith alone in the work that Christ has done on the cross. Scripture makes this abundantly clear. So that cannot be what this text is saying. Nor is John trying to guilt us into being generous. He's not saying, you know, look how generous God has been to you. So you better grit your teeth and you better be generous to others, even though you don't want to be, because you owe that to God. No, that that is not ever what God says to us. What John is doing is he's calling our attention to how generous God has been to us, to recognizing how much we have in Christ. And he's saying, rejoice in this. And then through that recognition, live in a joyful response by being generous to others. And, And we in this room ought to be among those who are the most generous people in the world because we have received the greatest generosity that one can receive. And while we are, we are certainly called to be generous to all people around us, this, this passage is, is specifically speaking to the importance of, of us being generous to one another, even us here in this room, in the family of Christ. And, and being generously is, is obviously not just a, a specifically Christian trait. Anybody can be generous. But we have the most reason to be generous because we are most aware of how generous God has been to us. And of course, we, we can't fully comprehend the love of God. We certainly cannot duplicate it, right? We cannot love just as God has loved us, not, not fully anyway. But we are called to, in as deep of a sense as possible, imitate the love of God in the way that we love others. Those who belong to Christ who see their brother or sister in need, we will be moved and we will act on behalf of that person. That's what the family of Christ does for one another. And this text is written to encourage us and point us in that direction. And that leads us now to point two, which is the outworking of our generosity. So we've seen seen why we should be generous, but now let's look at, at how the Bible calls us to be generous. This passage speaks a lot to the heart behind lives of generosity, but it also calls us to action. And so we want to we dive deeper into this text and, and ask, how might God be calling us to live our lives even this week in generous ways? Because the last verse in our passage concludes by calling us to love one another, not in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So this means that we, we don't just want to be generous. We don't just feel generous thoughts, we, but we are called to act generously because that is how Jesus has loved us. We see it again in verse 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. So Jesus did not just want our good, but he pursued it. He didn't just sit on his throne in heaven and look down on our broken lives and say, I wish that something could be done about this. Jesus was not just open to the idea of being good to us. Jesus was not just available in case we had a need and came asking for it. He sought us out. 
He planned before the beginning of time to step down into our broken lives and save us. And verse 16 says that this is our example to follow. Now, probably for most of us here in this room, um, we will probably not be in a circumstance this week where there will be an opportunity to, to literally lay our lives down for someone, meaning to actually die for somebody else. Now, with that said, if that opportunity were to arise it would, it would not be greater than what Christ has done for us, right? To actually lay your life down, to actually die for another would be a very appropriate response to the gospel and what Christ has done for us. But probably this week, that's not what most of us are going to be called to. So what can it mean for us this coming week to lay our lives down for others? Well, verse 17 expands on this command by saying, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So the, the application here is a simple one. If you see your brother or sister or friend in need, and you have the means to meet that need, then you should do so. Now, there are lots of ways that we are called to do this, right? Whether that's showing hospitality to one another, whether that's using your finances to meet the needs of somebody, um, whether that's just using your time and your energy to, to help out a friend. And we're going to talk more specifically about ways that we can do this as a church this coming, this coming week. But the, the main idea here is that if you know somebody in need, particularly somebody in the church, and you can meet that need, then your heart should compel you to meet that need. And of course, this, this brings up lots of questions, right? Because there are needs all around us, right? And there are, there are far more needs than, than we individually have the capacity to meet, right? So when we come to verses like this, when we, when we come to commands like this, um, it does not mean that we are responsible to meet all the needs of everyone that we encounter. You know, we, we have to recognize our, our human limitations. Um, God's not calling us to give away every dollar that we have necessarily. He's not calling us to spend every waking hour and spending every ounce of energy making sure that nobody around us ever has any needs. And we, we certainly are not called to be generous every second of the day without limitations. You know, Jesus himself, even when, when he ministered to us in human form, he, he was not available to the needy crowds 24 hours a day. Uh, there were many times where he stepped away from the crowds to rest. There were many times where he got away to um, be refreshed in the spirit and time with his father. And so, so we, have to be, we have to be wise as we seek to apply and, and obey these commands. It's probably not the wisest thing if we all went home today and just all sold our homes and just gave every dollar away that we had. You know, don't go home and empty out your kids' college fund and just buy new appliances for everybody in the church. You know, it would not be good to exhaust yourself and, and spend every waking moment meeting every need, taking every call, caring for every hurting person. Now, now with that said, I, I don't want to talk us out of loving as Jesus has loved us. Because that is the command here in chapter 3. And, and while the role that we play in loving is, is going to look different than the role that Christ played, we are still called to have that same heart of generosity that Christ had towards us. And I, 
I think that our, our default mode in life is probably not loving too much. It's probably not serving too much. It's probably not being overly generous. I think our, our default mode, and my, my default mode in life is more, don't I need to make sure that, that I am provided for? So I need to make sure that, that my finances, my energy, my time, my needs are secure. And, or, or, or what if I give this money away and then I don't have enough for myself? What if, what if I befriend this person that nobody likes and then people end up not liking me? What, what if I give my weekend to caring for this family and I lose out on refreshment and enjoyment and rest myself? And again, good arguments can be made for this. Um, it's, it's, and we need to be wise as we pursue this, not, to not serve beyond our limit in unhealthy ways. Um, there, there are certainly times when we need to save money. We must say a no to something in order to get rest. When we must prioritize those whom we serve. You know, unlike God, we, we don't have an unending supply of, of, of time and wealth and energy and wisdom to give away. So there, there's certainly a place for saying no to being generous at times. But I just don't think that Scripture presents the the starting place of the motivation behind the Christian life to be, let's make sure that we meet our needs first. First of all, Scripture makes it clear that in Christ, all of our truest needs have already been met. Our future is secure in Christ perfectly. In passages like Matthew 6, 33, Philippians 4, 19, they talk about how if we give our lives to following Jesus and trusting him, even when it's costly to us, that he will supply all of our needs, both here on earth and for eternity. And furthermore, all that we've been given, our time, our energy, our money, our, our talents, our, our giftings, they have all been given to us by God as undeserving gifts, and he's given them to us that we might use them for good in this world. In, in 1 Chronicles 29, it speaks to this. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, summarizes this idea by saying this. He says, A lack of generosity refuses to acknowledge that our resources are not really ours, but God's. I want to read that again. A lack of generosity refuses to acknowledge that our resources are not really ours, but God's. Back in 2008, our country was, was going through an economic recession. So many of you might remember the, the, the checks that were sent out as part of the economic stimulus package where everybody was mailed checks for, it's like, I think it was $1,200, very similar to kind of what's been happening even these past few months during the pandemic. And uh, the idea behind these checks was you're supposed to take them and you're just supposed to go out and just buy stuff for yourself to stimulate the economy. 
I think I put all mine into my student loans, so oops. Um, but, uh, but I knew this group of friends from college who they, they took these checks and they got together, they combined all of their checks, and they went out and they bought a car for a lady in their church who had just lost her husband and was struggling to raise her many kids. And I was remembering that this past week as I was preparing this message and thinking how perfect example that is of what this passage is talking about. These people just had these checks mailed to them. They didn't do anything to earn them. Like I said, they paid taxes. You could make an argument. It was their money either way. But let's not go there. It doesn't serve my illustration. But they just, they had these, they had these checks just, just mailed to them, right? They didn't do anything for it. They were just money placed in their lap. And they combined this money and they used it to serve somebody in great need. And this is true for all of us. And this is what God has given to all of us. We are called to live generous lives, recognizing that God has not only saved us, he's not only met all of our needs, but he has also given us gifts and resources in order that we might use them to be generous to others. And the more God blesses us, the more generous we should be. Randy Alcorn says, God's extra provision is usually not intended to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. And again, friends, this applies not only just to money, but to the many ways that God has been generous to us, and the many ways that God has, has blessed us and gifted us so that we can be generous to others. So friends, are you aware of the needs of those around you? Perhaps there's, there's someone in your fellowship group who even this week has a practical need that you could reach out and meet. Move toward that need this week. For the youth in our church, perhaps there's someone in your life who you know is, is lonely and kind of on the, the outskirts of your friendship group. Move towards that person. Be generous with your friendship, with your life in that way. Maybe God has given you a home and the ability to show hospitality. Maybe someone, there's someone in your life who you know is hurting this week and could benefit from a phone call. Move towards that person this week. Be generous with your time and your energy and your life. And perhaps the, the first and the, the best way that we can move towards generosity is just pausing in the middle of our day or in the middle of our week and asking God to show us ways to be generous. Pray. Ask God for, to open up doors for you to be generous. Ask God to put somebody on your heart that you can reach out to. Again, just as Christ was and, and is faithful to step towards us and actively seek to bless us, even when it was costly for him, because it was very costly for Christ to be generous to us. And God calls us to do the same. And there are, there are so many ways that we can live generous lives. And, and, and scripture does not lay out all the details and the specifics of how that could look this week. What it does do is call us to delight in how generous God has been and seek to find ways to be generous to others. Now, as we, as we continue to talk about specific and practical ways that we are called to be generous. Uh, I, do want, I want to take a moment here to talk about how the Bible calls us to be generous through our financial giving to the local church. I'm just going to say up front, 
feels a little awkward for me to talk about this because I recognize as a pastor of a church can feel self-serving to speak to this. But scripture speaks to this a lot. And one of the main ways that, that, that Christians are called to live generous lives is to support the work that God is doing through local churches throughout the world. All throughout biblical history, God has called his people to support the work he's doing through their financial giving. In the Old Testament, it was, it was part of the law that God gave to the people of Israel that they were to give 10% of their income to God. In the Old Testament, this, this money was used to, for maintenance of the temple where God met with his people and to the, support the work of the priests. This, this 10% or, or tithe, as it was called in Scripture, um, was, was given in the house of God as an act of worship, of a way to give back to God for the way that he has been generous to, to meet us and supply our needs. And now in the New Testament, it's the, it's the local church that is now at the center of God's activity in this world. And this, this idea of giving financially to the local churches is all throughout the New Testament. In Acts 4, we see this money being used to support the needs of the people in the church. In 1 Corinthians 9, we see it being used to support the elders as they give themselves to ministering to the church. In Philippians 4, we see this money being used for gospel outreach and service to the community to bless the area around the local churches. So while there are, there are many ways that we are called to live generous lives, one of the main ways, in a very specific way, Christians are called to do this, is through tithing to the local church. And while there are, there are many other organizations that are, that are wonderful to support and give to, giving to the local church is a biblical priority for the Christian. And church, I just want to take a moment here to say thank you for how generous of a church you have been in this way and in many ways. I, I hope you know, I, I think you know that we don't talk a lot about money. We don't speak to these things often. We do like to take regular moments to, to thank you for how, how generous you have been. In, in fact, in our, in our next members meeting, um, Joel's going to be giving us a, a financial update. And we're excited to take this opportunity to talk about the many ways that God has used your generosity for real care and outreach and gospel ministry over these past two years. It has been a wonderful thing, and we are so thankful for your generosity. And, and more importantly, know that God is pleased in the many ways that you have been a generous church these past years. And this leads us to point three, which is the reward for our generosity. This last point is a very brief one. It's really just a, a concluding thought here as we finish up. We have seen God's great heart of generosity towards us. Jesus himself laid down his life for us. And he is faithful to provide for us and richly bless us. And now we are given this great call to lay our lives down for others. And friends, as we follow Christ in this way, his generosity to us only continues. It is only through the power of the Spirit, which he generously gives us, that we are able to love as he has loved. As we are empowered by the Spirit to live generous lives, he delights in us and he uses us to accomplish much good in this world. And one day he's going to take us home and he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servants. And he will welcome us into an eternity of peace and joy and rest. 
He has saved us. He's empowered us to live generous life and he will reward us for all of eternity for doing so. What a generous God we serve is at the core of who he is. And church, may it be at the core of who we are as well.